So I feel really honored and um, privileged to be able to uh, be able to speak to you all this morning. I'm very excited to do so, and I just want to thank you guys uh, for giving me uh, this honor to be able to do this. Um, so I want to start off by just sharing a couple stories. Um, this first one was going to remain nameless because it's about my wife, but I uh, <laughs> and I forgot to ask her permission if I could share it, but. <laughs> I'm going to share one semi-embarrassing story about her and then another semi-embarrassing story about myself. So um, so my wife and I, we met here in Louisville um, over at uh, the seminary. I was going to the seminary and she was attending Boyce College. My wife was a biblical counseling major. Um, sadly, she never got to complete that degree because she met this really handsome seminary student and got married. Um, but uh, anyway, I just remember my wife saying to me one time in a conversation we were having how uh, for a while when she wanted to do counseling, she wanted to counsel people. And she told me, you know, once that she's like, you know, when I was, you know, a, a little bit younger, I used to feel so confident in counseling people, so confident in the advice that I gave and... Um, and uh, like I, you know, like I just knew knew everything. And she was sharing how, as she has gotten older and grown, that she doesn't feel that as confident anymore counseling people. And she was, you know, we she was reflecting with me like why that is. And the conclusion we came to was that because she was maturing in her faith and becoming more humble <laughs> and realizing she doesn't know everything and doesn't have everything figured out. But when, you know, as probably most of us here can relate, um, in our youthful pride, we do think we have everything figured out. Okay, the embarrassing story about myself. When I was younger, I used to be really into working out. You might not uh, guess that now based off these string beans. But um, I used to work out a lot and people used to, uh, tried to tell me, you know, you got to make sure that you stretch, you know, so you don't, you don't hurt yourself. But again, in my youthful pride, I was like, no, I'm fine. And I used to work out, didn't stretch much or anything like that. Well, now here I am, 35 years old, and I have back injuries, shoulder injuries, uh, a torn labrum in my shoulder, and I don't know what's wrong with my back. But um, again, just another example of youthful pride, thinking being under a delusion that you, you know some things or you have one perception of reality, but later on finding out that your perception of reality was actually different. Well, it becomes different. And that the truth that you didn't know before makes more sense now. But what's interesting about situations like that, and I'm sure we can all relate to situations like that, is the reality was always the same. When, when Nicole was counseling people, young and prideful, um, the reality was still the same. She didn't know everything. When I was exercising, <laughs> the reality was still the same. I was hurting myself, whether I realized it or not. And so today we're actually going to look at a story. We're gonna, Jesus is going to present to us two different characters, and they both have two very different perceptions of reality. But what is amazing and what we'll see is that the reality is true whether, whether one knows it or not. Reality about ourselves, reality about life, reality about others, but most importantly, 
the reality of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, if you would, I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. So, if you would, let's read this together. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing before him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then, turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is a beautiful story. And as I was saying, in this story, we're introduced to two characters here. Jesus is invited to dinner at the house of a Pharisee. And most of us know this already, but the Pharisees were kind of the religious elite of those days. They were, they were the ones that knew the law inside and out and, and kept it to the, to the nth degree. And this Pharisee's name is Simon. And he invites Jesus over for dinner. Um, and while they're at this dinner, there is this woman who just kind of randomly uh, appears on the scene. Um, in our culture, we might find this a little bit strange. Um, we might wonder why random women just seem to be at people's houses while they're eating dinner. Um, she did not break an entering. Um, Culturally, in that time, uh, Pharisees were the influential people in that society. 
And uh, it's, it's believed that their, when they had dinners, when they invited you know, other influential people over to their house, those dinners would be kind of open to the public in a sense, where people could just kind of sit around outside of the dinner and just kind of listen to the conversation. You know, they, they didn't have news back then. They didn't have television or, or internet. So you know, how, you, how you learned things or how you kind of knew what was going on in society was probably through doing things like this. So um, in, this, in this culture, it's not abnormal that someone could just be there who wasn't part of the, the dinner party. And so this woman's there, but what does she do? It's interesting. This woman is, is at Jesus' feet, and she's weeping. And she's, she's weeping so much, she's soaking Jesus' feet with her tears. And she's wiping them with her hair. Now, also, culturally, this would have been very um, risque. This would have been not a good thing for a woman to let down her hair in public. But she's doing that, and she's wiping Jesus' feet with, with her hair. And she's anointing them with this oil, this ointment. And people are judging her. You know, this, the scripture is, tells us here that Simon is, is, have, is thinking in his head, not out loud. He's saying to himself, um, he's judging her. He's looking, he's looking down on this woman because she's a sinner. And um, it's, it's reasonable to think this woman may have been a, a prostitute or, or something like that where she had a reputation, right, where you could just tell by looking at her, um, that is a sinful woman. Um, she's, she's looked down on uh, by, by the Pharisees, and she's being judged. What's interesting here, too, is Simon is also uh, judging not just the woman, but he's judging Jesus as well, because Jesus is letting this woman touch him. He's, he's, he's receiving what this woman is doing. He's not sending her away, which is what the Pharisees would have done clearly what Simon thought. So, so we see these two characters here. We see this, this Pharisee, Simon, and we see this woman. And we're going to focus in on these, these two characters here. So what's interesting, though, is this, as the story goes on, we see that Jesus responds to Simon. But what's interesting is that Jesus knows Simon's thoughts. It's kind of scary, right? <laughs> Um, Simon's just thinking these things in his head, but Jesus knows, knows his thoughts. God knows our, our thoughts. God knows our hearts, our minds. He knows the deep things of us. There's really no place for pride before God, before the Lord. Jesus, Jesus responds to Simon, and he says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, go ahead, say it. And, he, and, he, and so he, he asks Jesus, he tells Jesus, sorry, Jesus tells Simon this story. And you know the story. He, he overviews it about um, a, a, a Lord who these people owed money to. And they both owed these two pretty substantial debts. One owed 500 denarii, the other owed 50. And I've, you know, depending on who you read or what you read, you might get some different amounts for these. But approximately, this is about the equivalent of, you know, 
50 denarii being about maybe a couple months wages and 500 denarii being about a year's worth of wages. Um, just to show you, one is a, a larger amount, one is a smaller amount. And, but the, the interesting thing here is neither of these people were able to pay their debt. And the, the master forgives them, both of them, absolves them of their debt. And Jesus poses this very uh, searching question to Simon. He says, which one do you think will love him more. And it's, it's simple logic, really. And, and Simon answers correctly. He says, uh, the one who owed him more, I suppose. And so Jesus affirms his answer. And then Jesus responds to Simon, and he gives kind of a comparison of these two characters. So Jesus says to Simon, he, he, he asks him in it to look at this woman. Simon's already looked at this woman, but look at him again. Look at this woman again. Jesus says to Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't give me any water for my feet. You didn't anoint, give me oil for my head. You didn't offer me a kiss. Um, and this might seem kind of strange to us. These were cultural kind of customary things you would do for a guest. This was part of hospitality in those days. Um, what they specifically meant, I mean, I can imagine the water for your feet was probably to clean your dirty feet um, from walking around in sandals all day long. But um, the, the oil and uh, the kiss, these were, these were cultural signs of hospitality. And so what we can gather from this is that in not doing this, this would have been insulting to the guest. This would have been insulting to Jesus or shameful. And so though Simon invites Jesus over for dinner, for a meal, he's not, he's not showing him the proper hospitality. He's not receiving a guest the way you should. He's not receiving Jesus the way he sh should. And, and as we know, Jesus is not just any guest. So this was dishonoring for him. And, but Jesus makes um, a comparison between Simon and this woman. And he says, you didn't do these things for me, but this woman did. She, she, not only, she, she, anointed, she washed my feet with her tears. She, she, you didn't offer me a kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet. And, she's an, and you didn't anoint my head, but she's anointing my feet with oil. There is a, a stark contrast between the reception of Jesus that is being given here by, a, by Simon the Pharisee and by this sinful woman. Well, what does this reveal to us about these two people? Simon, though he is a Pharisee, does not love and honor Jesus like he ought. The woman, even though she is a sinner and looked down on by the religious elite, she does honor and love Jesus appropriately. It's interesting how Simon looked down on this woman, but Jesus exalts her. Jesus is actually the, the she, the, I'm sorry, the sinful woman is actually the one who is in the place of esteem. 
so now that we have the, the picture, the portrait of what's going on here, let's, let's dive in a little bit deeper. What makes the difference between these two characters? What, what is the difference between these, these two responses? The servant who was forgiven the greater debt would love his master more. This was the logic that was pointed out by Simon from Jesus' question. And Jesus also makes uh, this statement in verse 47. The woman whose sins were many were forgiven. And this was evidenced by how much she loved Jesus. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. This is the main point that Jesus is trying to emphasize here. The one who is forgiven little loves little. The one who is forgiven much loves much. The difference in these two people was in what they believed about themselves. But more importantly, what they believed about Jesus. One saw Jesus as a peer. The other saw Jesus as a precious Savior. The precious Savior. Simon, being a, a Pharisee, maybe he saw Jesus as um, another crazy false prophet. Or maybe he saw Jesus as a, a legitimate teacher. Maybe he even saw Jesus as a prophet. He might have been curious about Jesus. But his reception of Jesus is evidence that he has pride and a lack of understanding and faith of who Jesus really was and what he came to do. He didn't realize how much he actually needed Jesus. So let's, let's, let's consider his interaction just a little bit more here. So maybe he's curious about Jesus. He invites him over for dinner. Um, he you know, has some of his other Pharisee friends come over as well. Um, but he doesn't offer Jesus the normal greetings that he should offer him. Maybe this is because of pride. Maybe he feels that he's above Jesus. Maybe he is afraid of what his other Pharisee friends might think about him. Maybe he's just lazy and doesn't feel much need to lift a finger for Jesus. And so Jesus comes and sits at his house and, and they're talking and this sinful woman walks in and he judges this woman that she's sinful, not worthy. And what's even more astounding is he judges Jesus. Step back and think of a minute of, of the, the weight of that. He is judging the Son of God, casting judgment on him. That if he really knew what this, who this woman was, he wouldn't let him, her touch him. This is evidence of pride. Simon is a proud man who does not see himself rightly before God. He does not see the reality of his situation. Whether he sees it or not, it is true. He does not see that he is in the same condition as that woman who he's judging. 
is just as much of a need for God's grace as that woman does. And he does not realize that the one sitting across from him at the table is the only hope that he has. The only Savior. The Son of God incarnate. Light in darkness. The promised Messiah who's here. The salvation of the world. It's funny how when, when Jesus presented this scenario in very simple terms, that little simple parable of the, the master with, and the servants with the two debts, he was able to see the logic very clearly. But he was blind to it in his own life. He didn't realize that he owed a debt he could not pay. Therefore, he did not love God. He did not honor God. He did not receive the Savior the way he should. This is interesting because this makes Simon fit very well in with the description of the Pharisees that we get in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 11, that, that they're busy with the outside of the cup, cleaning the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is dirty. And this fits also really well with what the Lord tells us in Luke chapter 6 when he says, Woe to the rich. Woe to those who laugh. Woe to those when people think well of you. This is, that, this is the prideful man. But the woman is different. This sinful woman is very different than Simon. She sees the reality of her situation. She understands her need. She knows that she's not worthy. She knows that she has no ground to stand on when she comes in to this room. But she also clearly has an understanding. To what degree? We don't know. But she clearly has some understanding of who Jesus is. And she knows that she's forgiven. She knows that her salvation is in Christ and that she has that in him. And she's overtaken with love and gratitude. Let's consider her response. So this woman, she hears that Jesus is in town. She hears that Jesus is at the house of Simon the Pharisee. She knows about Jesus. Maybe, we don't know this, but maybe she's had some sort of interaction with Jesus before. She knows who he is. She loves him. So she goes and she gets her, her bottle of ointment and she runs over to Simon's house. But maybe, maybe on, when, when she's walking into the house, she, maybe she had some reservations. Maybe some fear came over her. Maybe she felt the stares of the, the Pharisees and the other people in the house. They, they knew who she was. They knew her reputation. These were the religious elite. These people were righteous and pure. She was a sinner. And she knew it. Maybe she was tempted to back down. Maybe she was tempted to go away. But what, what is true, that was all just possibility. What is true is that she was overwhelmed with gratitude for Jesus. And she pours herself out at his feet, weeping, wiping the feet with her hair, not considering, never mind the filth that's probably on Jesus' feet, but also not, even, not, not disregarding 
those those stares and the judgments that's coming from other people. This is uninhibited gratitude. And I like to think that I could maybe in some ways relate to how she felt. And maybe some of you can hear where she's, she just, she knows she has no ground to stand on. She knows she has no right to be there, but yet she's being received by Jesus. And she knows that she's forgiven. I imagine this probably feels like floating in a sense, just floating in his grace, floating in his love and uninhibited, just, just grateful and thankful and just willing to just pour, pour out for him. And Jesus receives her and he says to her that her sins are forgiven and that it was her faith, her faith that saved her. And he tells her, go in peace. She was condemned by these, these Pharisees, judged by them, but she was commended by Jesus. Jesus commended her. This is an important thought here. The difference between these two characters, their reception of Jesus was based off of how they saw Jesus. When we rightly see Jesus, we rightly receive Jesus. The one who is forgiven much, loves much, and the one who is forgiven little, loves little. The, the Pharisee, he didn't know. He was blind. He was ignorant. And he, he didn't receive Jesus. He didn't acknowledge Jesus. He didn't even realize his need for Jesus. But this woman did. Let, let's take a, a, a quick moment here and let's, let's think about our own reception of Jesus. Let's just kind of flip this around. We're looking at this story, but let's look at our own lives for a minute. How, how are we doing personally? This is just a question for all of us to just think on and search ourselves here. How are we doing with our own reception of Jesus? Do we receive and honor Jesus like this Pharisee? Or do we receive and honor Jesus like this woman? This might seem a little bit dramatic, maybe, to some of you, but there's a lot of application here. We're called to honor Jesus in, in everything we do, in word or deed. We live our lives before him and in him, with him, and by him and through him. So moment by moment, we are called to, to be receiving him and responding to him. So, so how, are we, how are we doing this? How are we doing with our reception of Jesus? Do, do we see Jesus more like a peer with whom we're on the same level? Or do we see him as a precious savior who's worthy of our everything? Do we live like we have little need for Jesus in our day to day? Or do we live like we are hopeless without him? Do we seek to honor him moment by moment in our lives? At home, with our families, and with our wives, with our, with our children? in our personal time, at work, with our coworkers, in our conversations, how we respond to even, even you know, difficult situations, stressful situations, 
at work or out in the world? Or are we indifferent? Are we blind to the realities of our condition and and of his majesty and of his grace? Do we have a sense of utter dependence on on Christ? Or are we prone to self-reliance? When we come come here on Sunday mornings for worship, do we come here, is, is our worship, is it rote, routine? Or are we moved with gratitude for our Savior? When we look at other people, whether in church, at home, work, out in the world, do we look down on them? Do we judge them for their sin, for their ignorance? Or do, we, or do we empathize with them? Do we know that we're in the same boat? Do we know that we are no better off for them and but for the grace of God? I was really blessed this, this uh, Tuesday. Um, uh, Matt has been leading, um, uh, Ben, Persona, and myself, uh, the three seminary students here, has been leading us um, for the last several months. We've been meeting and we've been He's been teaching us and how to better prepare sermons and how to study the Bible. And, and, and what's been really great is one thing we've been doing is we prepare, we prepare kind of our thoughts on the passage. And then we, we come to the group and then we have to present it. And then comes the hot seat where you are asked a bunch of questions by, your, by Matt and the other two seminary students that are in the room. And... Uh, this has been a real privilege and a real, a real blessing. And, and this Tuesday, I was really blessed by the conversations that we had and the insights that Matt and my other brothers shared. And um, there's so many great insights I, I shared. I don't have uh, that were shared. I don't have enough time to share them. But um, one I just want to point out was one of them was we we start it was brought up that you know in our in our Western culture. In, in, a, in our society, we have a really hard time relating to the woman in this passage. And it's because, and I think for a number of reasons, but one, we don't really know much about what it feels like uh, to be that vulnerable, to be, um, to be destitute, to be without hope, to be without safety, security, to be utterly destitute. We don't really know what that's like. I mean, even if I just think on the side here, even in some of the dramatic situations that are happening in the world today over in Afghanistan, you better believe they're making sure they get the American citizens out of there. What about our brothers and sisters who aren't, don't have that type of security? We don't really know what that's like in some ways. We can imagine it. But the reality of the situation is we really are before the Lord. Apart from Christ, we are utterly destitute. Do we know what our situation is apart from Christ? Do we really know that? Do we really understand that we owe a debt? We owed a debt we could not pay. 
Do we know that at any time we commit even one sin, we owe a debt we cannot pay? That is how holy our God is. When we come before Jesus, do we honestly see ourselves as not bringing anything to the table? I know we say that. We talk about it. I've said it so much. And even this week as I'm preparing this message, faced with this, with these thoughts, do I, do I really believe that? Do I really understand? I bring nothing to the table. I stand on no ground of my own when I stand before Christ. Nothing. I am poor and needy. I am a sinner. I'm hopeless, shameful. I have nothing. That's what this woman, she knew that. But the beautiful part is, is it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Not only do we truly believe that we are utterly destitute before the Lord, but do we truly believe that he knows all of that? He knows all of that is true about us, and yet he still received us. He gave his life for us. Do we believe that? It gives more weight to it. It gives more reality to the fact that our God is the God who loves sinners and gave his life for sinners. He loves the weak. He loves the broken the disenfranchised, the sinner, the helpless, the humble. And he looks upon us with patience and grace, with a loving and welcoming face, with acceptance. He looks on us like a father looks on his children. And that's not a metaphor, that's a reality in Christ. Are we grateful for that? Are we joyful? Are we moved by that compassion and mercy? To truly know Jesus as Savior, to truly know him as our precious Savior, changes our view of reality. In closing here, in these final verses, verses 48 through 50, Jesus says those amazing words to the, to the woman. He says, your sins are forgiven. And what's interesting here is that the other people at the table start talking among themselves and they say, who is this? Who is this who has the authority to forgive sins? Well, every believer can chime in here at this point and say, I, I can tell you who that is, right? This is the Son of God incarnate. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. This is the one who has the authority to forgive sins. He accomplished it with his own blood once and for all. And what sweet words these are. Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine that woman in that condition, in that state, so filled with joy and thankfulness and seeing Jesus' welcoming and accepting face, made even more clearer by all the judging faces in the background. Seeing Jesus' welcoming and accepting face, 
saying those sweet words to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, it was, it was that faith that made the difference. That faith, that view of Jesus, that understanding of him as the precious Savior, the only hope, that sober, humbling reality, that floating feeling of having no ground to stand on, only grace. That is the only ground we work off of is grace and grace alone. That faith, that faith that Jesus describes when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That faith is what makes the difference between a Pharisee and a true believer. That is the faith that, that ignites and lights up the heart of true believers. That's the faith that motivates obedience. So, just wrapping it up here, when we rightly see Jesus, when we rightly see him, that's, the way, that's when we rightly receive him. The one who is forgiven much, loves much. The one who knows they are forgiven. The one who understands their need. The one who understands how much they've been given. That's the one who loves much. But the one who is forgiven little, the one who doesn't see it, the one who, who is ignorant and blind to that reality, the reality, that's the one who loves little. So wherever you are this morning, and I'm sure a lot of us here, most of us here, hopefully all of us here are believers, and there might be some here who aren't. There might be some of you here who, who like me, struggle more with being a Pharisee. But wherever you are this morning, we have to, we have to see the difference between a person living in a deceived false reality, blinded by their pride and ignorance of who Jesus is and their need for him. So let us, let us think on Jesus as the precious and merciful Savior and ask ourselves if we truly know him in this way. And, and would you please pray with me for this? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this picture of Jesus that we see here. What an amazing picture this is. What an, what an amazing reality this is. Lord, you don't want us to come to you in pride and self-reliance. You don't, you don't want us to be like that. Lord, you want us to understand our need, but not to shame us. You want us to understand our, our total poverty of spirit so that we can receive everything from you in grace and, and just be filled with gratitude unto your glory, Lord. Unto your glory. And Lord, I think for, for all of us here, I can, I can say this, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, we want to see you more clearly. We want to have more of this type of a view of you. We want to understand you more in this way. So I pray, Lord, I pray this for, 
for myself, for all of us here at Grace, I pray that you would give us a greater understanding of our poverty of spirit and a greater sense of our utter need and dependence on you, God. Please help us to, to, to understand that more. And please help us to have a greater and more intimate knowledge of you as our Savior. And, and Father, by your Holy Spirit, please let this fill us with utter thankfulness and joy that overflows in love for you. Every day, God, please help us with this. And we thank you. Thank you so much for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.